0: Amen. Well, isn't it? Well, first of all, Happy New Year. Year. It is a great opportunity to spend this morning together to start off. And I just want to just for a second here thank some of you deeply for being willing to come at 10 a.m. on New Year's Day. I know there's a couple of you. Giving you a hard time. So, you know, it's so funny. It, literally, um, like a week ago, we were like, ah, 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we blew it. And when I say me, we, I, I mean I'm including Mark and Alan in that. So, and I'm like, ah, maybe we should have moved it back to 11. You know, give people an extra hour. But see, really, when you think about it, Very few of us got drunk last night. And when I use that word few, if you did, I would like to see you afterwards. So we talked about it for a second, and we're like, no, they're disciples. They'll be fine. And in fact, I have a confession to make. Me and my household, we were in bed by 9.30 last night. I mean, it was a long night. And that 9.30 is like, you know what, it's time to go to bed. So, you know, I like getting old a little bit. You know, happy new year. New beginnings, fresh starts. Second chances, you know, an opportunity for every single one of us to ask, well, how was 2016? How will be this year, 2017? You know, who am I? Most of us, many of us, have made decisions to be disciples of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus through Matthew says, go, all power and authority has been given to me, therefore go, go and make disciples, go and baptize, go and teach everything I've commanded you. And so I look at 16 and I'm like, okay, here's some strengths, here's some good things, here's some things that we need to work on, but you know, 17 is a new beginning, You know, in John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So my question is for us this morning, starting off 2017, does the world, do your neighbors, do your family members, do your co-workers, do they see something different about the way you love this group of people that's different from the world? How well... As a body, do we love? You know, we just started a series, reading a book together, A Loving Life by Paul Miller. God willing, you've already started reading the book of Ruth today. It's an incredible book about learning to love from the Old Testament book of Ruth. And the direction was, today, tomorrow, read Four chapters in the book of Ruth. It's just four. Two a day. Oh, it's a new year. All right, just two chapters. And one of the major themes in this book is love. What is love? What is the cost of love? Why do we shy away from love? What does it mean to love when you get no love in return? Or the love that you don't think you want, or the love that you get that maybe it's not what you want in return? What's love? And see, I know, at least from my perspective, is that my desire is to see the DFW Church continue to take it deeper in loving both those in the body and out of the body. So what is love? Well, that's one of the reasons why we're reading the book. You know, the bottom line is, is that we all need to learn to love better. It's not about them. It's about me. How do I love people. What is love? And why is it so hard? And What do I need to do? What do I need to change? How do I need to grow? Not them. If you're married, it's not about how your spouse can love better. It's not if you have kids, how your kids can learn how to love better. If you have roommates or you're by yourself, it's not about them. It's about you. How can I love better? Because, see, according to John chapter 13, all men will know that we're disciples by the way we love. And so we begin the book of Ruth. And it starts off, literally, in in one short sentence, it says in Ruth chapter 1, Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn to the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. You know, the story begins in a sober, foreboding mood. A famine forced a family from Bethlehem to move to a foreign land when the judges ruled. And this is one of the reasons why understanding the Bible, loving the Bible, digging in deeper, studying, understanding, comprehending what God is trying to say, and you'll read one sentence and literally it's pregnant with thought and with understanding, with depth one sentence means so much and you read this one sentence and if you're if you're a lover of the word you get it and you're like no 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 this is bad one when the days when the judges ruled what does that mean There's a famine. What does that mean? A family from Bethlehem. God's people left to go to Moab. No. Things are messed up. You know, this morning I, Mark and I were, were talking for a few minutes. And he shared a joke with me. And then I shared a joke with him. And after sharing both jokes, we're like, you know what? We better not tell any jokes this morning because we're just tired. (laughs) And as hard as our jokes, and as funny as they are, they're not going to come across really well. But I really liked his joke. But I'm not going to use it because I'll let him use it next week. (laughs) Or actually in two weeks. But you know what? You you can just sit here and say, oh man, it is messed up. You know, we can look at our society and the world and all the different things that are going on, and you know, we can take a step back and say, you know what? It's messed up. Even though we live in a bubble, if we're perceptive and understand, we can see, you know what? Things are messed up. So. In one sentence, starting off, in the days when the judges ruled. Well, let's, let's give it a little bit of history here. Those were the days, if you understand, God taking his people out of the Judea area, saving them basically, going into Egypt, 300 plus years of captivity. And literally what happened then is that God, through Moses took out this nation, probably a couple million, two million plus people, out of slavery into the promised land. They blew it. They messed up. And so God had to discipline them. And through Moses and Joshua leading, literally for 40 years, going through the desert. And then you have this young man, Joshua, leading after Moses died. And now he's about to die. Joshua. And, he, and he's giving this speech to the Israelites And we're going to pick it up in Joshua chapter 24 in verse 14. And it says, now therefore, this is about when he's ready to pass away. He goes, now therefore the Lord, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. That's right there. Wow. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the, the gods that your forefathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, How far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did great signs in our sights and preserved us uh, and preserved us in all the way that we went, among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. So they're making a declaration God is God. He's our God. We're going to worship him. We're going to serve him. We're going to do it faithfully. Joshua is leading his people, and then he passes away. And then you have this period of time until the kings, that the judges ruled. A collection of men and women who led Israel after Joshua's death. And you see this. In the book of Judges, and you see this pattern that repeated throughout the book of Judges. The people abandoned the Lord, kind of like the man of Bethlehem leaving Bethlehem to go to Moab. Then God punishes them by raising up foreign powers or famines to oppress them, kind of like what happened in Ruth. The people cried out for God for deliverance. Then God raised up a deliverer or a judge to lead, to teach, to draw them back to him. And as I shared a few weeks ago, it's like wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. And it never stopped. And so you have this book. And you've got to remember the book of Ruth is a book about love. And then you have this man who takes his family away from God's people into a foreign land, and he goes through discipline. This man from Bethlehem takes his family away from the love of God to a foreign land. You have the book of Ruth. Now, in the time of the judges, one of the ways that we can see how the people basically prostitute themselves to to their environment, their society, is is found in their relationship with the foreign gods that Joshua said, who are you going to pick? What are you going to do? Are you going to pick God or are you going to pick all these other gods that are around? And what you see here in the time of the judges is that in Canaan, Is that they had what the Canaanites had what they had to call the God of Baal. It was common that the Israelites would also start to worship Baal. Baal was believed to be the owner of the land and to control the land's fertility. Baal's female counterpart was Asherah. And so sexual intercourse between these two gods were believed to regulate the fertility of the earth and all the creatures in that area. This mistaken belief left them open to the temptation to look towards other gods other, uh, other than the Father for agricultural blessings. So in other words, if you wanted to go worship the God of Baal and Asherah, you just had to go to the temple and you have sex. And I'm worshiping God. I'm going to make it rain tomorrow. I'm going to make the plants grow. I'm going to worship God. That's what worship was like. Now, we, we can have time, and we can study it all out, and, and we can appreciate ex- what was going on. But let's just look at some of the scriptures and judges, how, how God responded to this. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Judges chapter 3, verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherah. Judges 8. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and warred after the Baals and made... Uh, Baal um, birth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all the enemies from every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Judges chapter 10. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and Ashereth, the God of Syria. The gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Amorites, the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Searching for love in all the wrong places. If you love the movie Urban Cowboy, you just remember that haunting song searching for love in all the wrong places. Evil, evil in the sight of God, turned away, served after, warred after, forsook, did not serve, forgotten. And we're not talking about one short period of time. We're talking about literally hundreds of years Here's a pet peeve of mine. Here, let me give you a little geopolitical insight. You know, I I really get a big kick out of our government right now. And I usually don't go here, but I'm going to go here right now. I just get a big kick out of both the Democrats and the Republicans just so upset with Russia. Oh, the Russians, look what they're doing. They're interfering with our political process. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad we don't do that. The Russians are bad. And Americans, we're so good. Look at the nails in our wrists. The wound in my side. Like, really? I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to do that anymore. I mean, you're getting upset about this? When we do it all the time? Okay, if you want to retaliate, go ahead. But get over it. You know, it finally got to a place in Israel. And this is significant because the book of Judges ends this way. And it says it twice. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the setting of... Of the book of Ruth. Can you imagine living in a society where everyone did what was right in their own eyes? Perhaps teaching. We'd go to different schools, different universities, and all the teachers taught what they wanted to teach, what was right in their eyes. Perhaps. You have a choice of maybe seeing a Jim Taylor or a Mike Eisenberg to go to a, a physician to get treated. Or maybe you can go see a Carrie Mehaffy and Steve Smith for brain surgery. Because, see, everyone's going to do what they see right in their own eyes. How about driving? I've seen this, and it's not pretty. Everyone driving as they see fit in their own eyes. I've seen that. How about loving? Imagine loving in such a way that everyone loved each other that in their own eyes. 500 people right now. I don't know, 600 people in this room right now. Can you imagine 600 people? Loving other people 600 different ways. Doing it the way they want to do it. Are we any different from Israel? Are we any different? I mean, one of the things that I've had to learn over and over and over again is that I can't love my spouse the way I want to love her. I got to love her the way that she needs to be loved. And I like to say, I've come to that point about 10 years ago. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Good job. All right, it's a joke, all right? <laughs> Imagine 500 people loving the way that they want to love. I'm going to do right, right what's in my eyes. We'd have 500 different ways. You know, I clearly remember, before I became a disciple, working in an anatomy lab, cutting up on cadavers, and I I'm, I'm clearly remember doing, cutting up on, on people that unclaimed bodies in Cook County Morgue. And I remember just sitting there, cutting up these bodies, and thinking, is this it? Is this it? Is this life? Is this everything God, everything has to offer on this, on this earth? I can go, I can make money, I can marry, I can have kids, I can, have, I can do things, and then I'm going to end up like this. Is this all that the world has to offer? And at the end of the day, I want to know what love is. I want to understand what love is. We're going to listen to this song. We're not going to listen to the whole thing. We're going to listen to part of it. I just want you to read the words and listen to the song. Because see, I don't believe. I don't believe. We're not unlike the Israelites. I think we're just exactly like the Israelites. So, for those of us who aren't classy and have no class, this was Foreigner. The British-American band, Foreigner, this was released back in November of 1984. It became their first number one single. Mick Jones, who wrote most of the song, had a couple quotes says, I don't know where it came from. I consider it as a gift that was sent through me. I think there's something bigger than me behind it. I'd say it was probably written entirely by a higher force. And as they were recording with the choir, it says, we did a few takes and it was good, but it was still a bit tentative. So when we all got around in a circle, held hands and said the Lord's Prayer, and it seemed to inspire them. Because after that, they did it in one take. I was in tears because my mom and dad were in the studio too. And it was so emotional. You know, the world, when it's honest, wants to know what love is. And they're supposed to see it in the church. You know, it's r- ironic that I want to know what love is, knocked off Madonna's long-running like a virgin. And I'm not going to sing like a virgin. I can. Yeah, I can do that. But you know what? People, people like hot and saucy, They like what's forbidden. But at the end, in the end, it's not real. It doesn't last. It only goes so far, and it's not love. It's passion. It's inflammation, but it's not love. Loving as... If everyone loved what was right in their own eyes. Just think about that for a second. What what does that look like? That we would love the way we think we should love. Chasing that emotional, feeling-based love. What I call a people magazine love. I have to be entertained. Love is a feeling and if the feeling's gone, then the love is gone. It's a me first love. A non-sacrificial love. It's a what do I get out of it love? A love that's just based on perhaps physical attraction or or the physical relationship or money or security. Loving as everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This was the setting of the book of Ruth. And you know, the interesting thing about it is, it was right in their eyes. It was, they were convinced, this is right. This is the way to love. And so we're going to do it the way I think we need to do it. Because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But is it love? Is it really love? You know, Miller had a quote in his, in his book, and I'm not going to, uh, we're going to, you're going to be reading this yourself. But I want to read one quote, and I usually don't do long quotes, but it's a few sentences. I want to read it to you. He goes, suffering is the crucible of love, or for love. We don't learn how to love anywhere else. Don't misunderstand. Suffering doesn't create love, but it is the hot hot house where love can emerge. Why is that? The great barrier to love is ego. The life Of the self. In long term suffering, if you don't give in to self pity, slowly, almost gradually, the self dies. This death of self (coughs) offers ideal growing conditions of love. So, not surprisingly, this book on love, the book of Ruth, begins with the descent of Naomi and her family into the crucible of suffering. This is where we begin the book of Ruth. In the time of the judges, there was a famine. And a man from Bethlehem took his family to the land of Of Moab. I want to know what love is. I know I can't love where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I know I must learn to love. I know it will be hard at times. I know I need help to love. One last scripture in 1 Peter, chapter 1. This is Peter, a disciple of Jesus. And he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but an imperishable Through the living and abiding word of God. For those of us who made the decisions to make Jesus Lord. For those of us who made the decision to be born again. For those of us who made the decision to follow the gospel. We're called to obey Jesus. We're called to have a sincere brotherly love. We're called to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Read the book. Read the book. Don't wait. Start reading the book of Judge, or Ruth now. If you don't have the book, For those in the Northwest, I bet Terry's probably got a few. And those who in the Southwest, I'm sure Janelle's got a few. But read the book. And if you don't get it by today, you can get online and download it from Amazon. You know, we're going to take communion now. We're going to remember Jesus. And what I'd like to ask you to do to consider as we take the fruit of the vine, as we take the bread that represents his life, that we'll remember, we'll consider what Jesus says about all men will know.